Good morning. Good morning. I hope you're having a better one than I'm having, apparently, huh? All right, man. Well, today we are concluding our series called uh, uh, Love the Life You Live. And we began by asking a question. And the question was, what matters most to you? Remember that? We start off by reflecting on our life and trying to answer that question. What really matters most to you? And the answer is, ding, 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 ding. Jesus, what else is the answer? A lot of people had a lot of different answers. Relationships was really the answer. And sometimes my relationship with God, my relationship with Christ, my relationship with my kids, you know, my relationship with my spouse. It's those relationships. And then we talked about how we need to put first things first. And what matters most to us, if it's our relationships, well, we need to begin to live like they matter most to us. And we need to live by priorities rather than living by pressures. And we looked at two uh, people. You remember that story about Mary and Martha, you know, and how often we kind of live by the urgent things rather than living and doing the important things. And if we're not careful what happens, we kind of get stuck in life and we begin to live a have-to life. Tell me, like, nod your head if you remember this, right? Like, I mean, I, I have to do this and I have to do that. Rather than empowering ourselves and, and choosing to live a want-to life or a choose-to life, so we talked about how to, how to love and how to live, and last week we talked about how to learn. And we talked about how we learn by living, and we learn by, what are these years for? Listening, for hearing. So we learn by living, and we talked about the importance when we live our lives to learn from our life, and to begin to, to develop this spiritual discipline of confession, of agreeing with God, of, of learning from our mistakes. And then we talked about the importance of renewing our minds. Interesting fact we shared. The average person, 77% of self-talk is what? It's negative. Negative. And so we got to work really hard at what the Bible talks about, renewing our mind and, and changing our thinking. All right? And then we, uh, so we learn by uh, living. We learn by, by listening, listening to wise counselors. Uh, listening to that compass inside of each of us that points us towards true north, towards our creator. And, uh, and rather than letting our calendars and our schedules to guide and dictate our lives, we need to let the Holy Spirit, remember that last week? Anybody listening? Okay. Um, the Holy Spirit to kind of direct our lives, and then we'll love the life we live, and we will, get this, we'll do the things that matter most. You see, we've, we've come full circle. Are you with me? Say, I'm with you. All right, well, good, okay. Well, today we're going to talk about how to love the life I live uh, by leaving a legacy of love. You try saying that real fast. How, you know, how to love the life you live by leaving a legacy of love. You see, we all see the world not as it is, but as we are, right? We don't see the world really as it is, reality as it is. We see it through our own lenses, through our own eyes, through our own experiences, through our own failures, through our own different worldviews and different paradigms. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. Can you say that with me? We all see the world not as it is, but as we are, all right? And maybe you've heard of this before, the life cycle of see do, get. How many of you are familiar with this? First service, we had one person familiar with this. 
been around for years. Anybody familiar with this life cycle? Brent, thank you, Brent. You saw it the first service, and now you're familiar with it. Okay. And so often, this is the way we kind of live life. You know, we see something, and then we go do something, and then we get results. But you know what happens most of the time? We don't like the results we're getting in life. So you know what we do? We go back and we change the way we do it. We do it differently, and then we end up probably getting the same or similar results, and we're frustrated, you know. So what do we do? We go back up, and, you know, we're over on this get cycle, getting results. We don't like the results, and so what we do, we change what we do, expecting to get different results. And we end up like this guy up here. Aww. That's you up there. Last week I called you a rat in a maze. This week you're a hamster. You're evolving upwards at least. And, and to be honest, I'm that guy up there too. And that's what happens in life. We just keep going on our schedules and we're just going and going and going. And we're like on this wheel and we're doing and doing and doing. And we get off the wheel and we've got no results. And we don't like the results. And so then we get back on the wheel again and we're going and going and doing and doing. And we're still ending up with the wrong results because we bought into this fallacy that's kind of blinded us, that's kind of keeping us. Back to that life cycle again. What do we need to do? We need to change what? That's right. We don't need to be changing what we're doing. We need to be changing the way we see it because if we see a situation differently, we'll do differently and we'll get different results. If we see the person in our life differently, if we see it differently, then we'll do differently, and then we will get different results. Are you with me? All right. Called the life cycle. Now, today, I would like to change the way you see the world. Now, that's a lofty goal, but that was the goal. That was the mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus was on a mission to help us change the way we see ourselves. Jesus was on a mission to help us change the way we see God. Jesus was on a mission to help us change the way we see the world. He wanted to change the way we We think. And a word comes up over and over in the Gospels. A word comes up over and over in Jesus' message. It's the Greek word, a compound word. It's the word metanoia. Meta means change, like metamorphosis, change in form. Noia means thinking. It's a change in our thinking which results in the change of the direction of our life. Jesus says, listen, I want you to see it differently. And if you'll see it differently, you're going to do things differently. And you're going to get, I feel like that hamster on the treadmill there. You're going to get different results. And hopefully you're going to begin to love the life you live rather than loathing the life you live or rather than just living the life you live. Metanoia. See it, then you're going to do it, and then you're going to get different results. Are you with me? All right. If you're with me, uh, take your Bible, uh, or better yet, take your electronic device, 
And uh, turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And, and, and by the way, I, I did say that your Bible on your electronic device is, is better than a, a hard copy. Hopefully nobody will stone me. Um, why is it better to have your Bible on your electronic device? You can make the font bigger. Exactly. You know, it's better because what do you take with you wherever you go? Your iPhone. Your iPhone. You know, versus do you see people walking around carrying this thing? If you do, you run away from them quickly, right? You know, you don't carry your Bible, but you can take your Bible with you everywhere. It's called version. There's over 110 million copies, almost 110 million people using version. one of the fastest growing apps out there. And I love it. On Sunday, you can bring it up, and you can go right to the version that I'm using, and you can follow along. I mean, it is absolutely incredible. Um, and I would encourage you to do it. Matter of fact, I was at the doctor's office about a couple weeks ago, and I was sitting there in the, in the lobby and sitting next to this lady, and she had up her iPhone, and, you know, she's sitting right in front of me. I wasn't being a busybody. And I noticed she was reading her Bible there in the lobby at, at, at the doctor's office. I said, wow, that is so cool. That is so awesome. That's the value of it. Now, about a year ago, all right, it was probably more than a year ago, I've kind of processed through this, had someone complain, you know, and often I, I get those as a pastor every week probably. Someone fills out one of those cards and they don't put their name on it. And, and they said, you know, they wrote and they said, you know, Dr. Ray, how come you, you don't read your Bible on Sunday, but you read from your, your iPad? That's wrong, they were trying to say, and it, it wasn't a nice little note, but Anyways, I just kind of want to be honest with you. The reason why I, I read it from here, I don't know if you've ever seen this Bible here. You see how big the print is? I still can't read it. So the reality is I'm 35 years old and I can't see. And I've had cataract surgery already. You know, I've got clear lens implants, but I can see this. So that's really the real reason. And, and you know, by the way, you know, this other idea, this is what you call Bible idolatry. We're honest, just saying. You know, you begin to worship the book rather than the creator. You begin to worship the book rather than the God who wrote the book. That's what you call idolatry. Um, and it's the words that are inspired and are infallible. It's the words here. It's the words up there. It's the words. It's not the book, even though I, I love the book and I love the leather. Don't you just love the leather? I do. I still love... The, the, this stuff, and every morning when I read, I have to read one of these still, but I, I realize it's Bible idolatry, and, and I, I love it. Okay, so just saying, all right? So after all that, what are we talking about today? We're in Luke chapter 10, and uh, Jesus tells several fascinating stories, and three weeks ago, we kind of put this chapter into its context. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it today, just to kind of bring us up to speed. Again, you remember the first 16 months of Jesus' ministry, he was largely up by the Sea of where? Galilee. That's where he called his disciples. And for 16 months, Jesus had incredible popularity. I mean, thousands of people were coming and listening. Incredible miracles were being done. And then things kind of changed, and the religious leaders began to become a little hostile and, and uh, disruptive, and that's kind of where we are now in Luke chapter 10. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sets his face like flint, and he's heading to Jerusalem for the last time. And this is kind of where we pick up here in our story in Luke chapter 10. Let's pick up reading with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer 
Now, by lawyer here, it's referring to one who's especially skilled in the interpretation of Jewish law, which is the Pentateuch. It's the Old Testament. A lawyer in those days was someone who knew the Bible very well, just like a lawyer today knows a constitutional law or state law, whatever the case might be. But a lawyer back then was someone who really knew their Bible. They really knew it well. So, uh, behold, a lawyer stood up to him to test, stood up to Jesus to kind of test him, to kind of discredit him, saying, teacher, Jesus, rabbi, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus, said to him, well, what is written in the law? I mean, what does does the Bible say? I mean, you're the expert. How do you read it? And I I love this about Jesus so often. I mean, you think Jesus didn't know the answer? He he was God. He, He knew the answer. But Jesus so often would respond to a question with what? With a question. He was a master at that. I wish I had that discipline just to take a couple breaths and respond to a question with a question. So Jesus would say, how do you read it? How do you see it? You see, Jesus was trying to get this lawyer to see his world differently. So he asked him, how do you see it? How do you interpret it? Look at verse 27. And he answered, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now just stop right there. He's quoting what's called the Shema. Can you say that with me? The Shema. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. This was kind of the centerpiece of Judaism. An observant Jew would, would quote the Shema at least twice a day. An observant Jew would spend time at night putting the kids down, and he would go through the Shema to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, every night when he put the kids to bed. And it basically means to love God with all your totality, with all your being. You need to love God. All right? Then back to verse 27. And then he says, what's he say next? And what? And your neighbor as yourself. Now, this last part comes from Leviticus 19.18, which says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And And the Jewish leaders, rabbis, they would take these two passages of Scripture, Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, and they put them together, and this was known as the summation of the law, the summation of the Bible, the summation of the Ten Commandments. It's to love God, commands one through four, and then to love the world, love our neighbor, uh, command number five through number ten. All right? So, in verse 28, and he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Ding, 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 man, you got this right. Do this, and you will what? You will live. But he, desiring to kind of justify himself, make himself look good to Jesus, he said, and, and maybe he was trying to trick Jesus. He says, well, who is my neighbor? Now, the, the Jewish lawyers and the rabbis and the Levites and the priests, they all agreed that we needed to love our neighbors, but they had a very restricted, very limited view of who their neighbors were. As a matter of fact, they made it very explicit and very clear that their neighbors were not the Samaritans, which, by the way, were their neighbors. Now, the Samaritans were what you would call half-breeds. They were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles. They desecrated the temple, and they basically they 
hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated them, and they were their neighbors. But that, the neighbors weren't their neighbors. As a matter of fact, uh, the Jews at that time even said that the neighbors weren't the Gentiles. So basically, you just need to love your fellow Jew is how they were interpreting the law at that time. All right? So who is my neighbor? And by the way, what was Jesus known for? Jesus was known for having meals and spending time with some pretty notorious sinners. You know, some pretty bad people, some prostitutes, some tax collectors. So who, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells a radically different way to see the world. And if we'll see the world differently, we'll act differently. And we'll get a different result. All right? So in order for Jesus to help us to see the world differently, he tells us this story, this incredible parable, probably the most popular, well-known parable in the entire Bible. It's called the parable of the what? The good Good Samaritan. And you all have heard this story probably a thousand times. It's amazing. You can go to any culture. Everybody knows this story. And I thought rather than just reading the story to you and you've read it before, I thought we'd maybe do something different and we would try to act out the story. My hope is that hopefully you will see the story and by seeing the story, maybe you will do the story and you'll experience different results. Are you, are you with me? Okay, all right, so what I, just, what I thought initially was, you know, I was just going to open it up for volunteers to come up, and I was going to read the passage and have you act it out, and I thought, you know, that could be a little risky. You just never know what somebody might do, so then I thought, you know what, why don't I just invite the pastoral staff, our staff to come down, and I'll read the passage and let them act it out. You know, I thought I'd kind of mitigate the risk a little bit, and we, uh, they had no idea that we were doing this. We did it first service. They knew I was going to call them up here. They really didn't know why. Um, and I'm going to kind of change it up a little bit, this, this second service here, um, so it'll keep it kind of fresh, all right? So if you're on staff here at Palm Beach Community Church, would you uh, come to the stage right now? Mary Beth's coming, Brent's coming, Philip and John, and yes. And you know, there these guys are. Don't they look so excited about being up here? Don't you just feel the support I'm getting? Man, I just feel it. Matter of fact, it is, today is Pastor Appreciation Day. So let's uh, let them know how much we appreciate them and value them. Now what we're going to do, I'm going to read the story, guys, and then you're going to act it out. And let me kind of set the scene, and we're going to change up a little bit who you were from the first service, so you, you really need to make sure you understand the scene. This is the scene. Over here is what you call, what's over here, guys? This is Jerusalem over here. And over there, about 18, 20 miles away at the very end, that exit sign, that's what you call Jericho. And there's a road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's called the Bloody Way. You know, it's the Bloody Way because along this narrow road up in the mountains were robbers and they'd come down and beat you up and rob you. And it was a difficult journey. It was like uh, 3,600 feet down. Jerusalem was above sea level, Jericho's close to the Dead Sea below sea level, so it was a very crooked, difficult journey down the road of Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. All right, that's, that's kind of the scene, and if we could have some props, we need something, these, these are some props to help you be the character. Um, 
John, why don't we let you be um, the man that gets beat up on the road? You can dress yourself there, buddy. Yes. Um, And so you're going to be this Jewish man that was on this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. Thank you, John. His wife was down front row. She's taking all kinds of pictures, and he was so upset. He's going to post them on Facebook. John, if you'll kind of get over there. He was the good Samaritan last service, but this service he didn't make that, the honors. <laughs> and then we need some uh, robbers, you know, some robbers, uh, maybe somebody with some experience. Philip, my son, um, um, we, we, we can let you be the robbers, and if you can find somebody to help you. All right, and then we have uh, the Levite and the priest. I think we got a caller for the priest, and um, and then the uh, Levite. Uh, they were who assisted the priest. And so, why don't you be the Levite, and then I want you to go in the house and find somebody to be willing to be the priest. And that's their white collar, okay, to look priestly, okay. Um, all right, and so what do we have left? Who are we missing in our story? The Good Samaritan. And so we're going to let the, the new guy on the block be the good guy on the block. So you're going to be the Good Samaritan. All right? It does. It does. Looks kind of good on you. Um, and um, by the way, John, after you, no, 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 Philip, after you beat up John real good, um, we want you to come back and be the innkeeper. Okay? You got that? All right. Let's pick up the story then. You guys ready? Okay, let's uh, pick up the story. Verse 29, at the end it says, and who is my neighbor? That's the question in hand. All right, now we're going to see the story, right? So we're going to do what? Do the story. Yeah, okay, you got it. Okay, here we go again. Verse 30, and Jesus replied, a man was going, robbers, you're supposed to be up in the mountains. You're on the middle of the road. You think someone's going to come this way if you're standing in the middle of the road? You're up in the mountains. Okay, 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 um, um, a man was going down, going down, a man, that's your cue, John, okay. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he was going down, he fell among robbers who beat him. <laughs> and they stripped him of his clothes. They stripped him. They beat him and stripped him until he falls to the ground. They left him half dead. Half dead. Half dead. And now by chance, a priest, a descendant of Aaron, who had priestly responsibility in Jerusalem, a priest was going down the road Going kind of rough slowly. It's a steep, difficult journey, okay? And when he saw him, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Passed by on the other side. You get a, yeah, that's right. Very good, priest. All right. Just keep going, priest, to Jericho. Okay. All right, man, I'm glad I used the staff. Just joking. Did a great job, by the way. Okay. Um, And so likewise, a Levite, a member of the tribe of Levi who assisted the priests in worship, a Levite, when he or she came uh, to the place and saw him, 
saw him, she passed by on the other side. No, no, no. This is, let me show you, Mary Beth. This, this is the whole point. Come on now. Come on. Think with me. What's the priest and Levi thinking? This is what they do. They want to be separated from him. He's a bad guy. They don't want to get involved. All right, let's try it again. One more scene. Take two. Take two. Take three. Whatever it takes. And here comes the Levi again. All right. And they pass by on the other side. Very good. Okay. But a Samaritan, now by the way, Jews hated the Samaritans, Samaritans hated the Jews. So here comes the Samaritan, and as he journeyed, he came to where he saw him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Very good. He had compassion. He he went to him, and he bounded up his wounds, pouring on oil. And wine, oil and wine. I got a water bottle right over there. All right, um, oil. Now they weren't drinking the wine. Okay, <laughs> you're bad. The point: oil and wine. And again, who's the writer of the Gospel? Luke. Luke was right, and he's using medical terms of oil to help soothe the pain, and and wine to, as a kind of as an antiseptic to help kill the germs. And then he closed them. Man, you guys are just taking off and going. Wait a second, he's with you. Okay. Um, then he set him on his donkey. Did you come in on a donkey or his animal? You must have. Okay. Okay. And brought him to an inn. So you're going to take him to an inn. And at the end, he takes care of him. He takes care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, 34 cents. Today, we'd be like two days' wages. And he gave it to the innkeeper and saying, take care of him and whatever more you need, and I will repay you when I come back. And then they all lived happily ever after. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Now, notice verse 36. Verse 36 says, which of these, what's it say, how many? Three. Which of these three... Do you think, do you see, which of these three do you think, do you see, proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the Jewish man said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and, what's the word? Do. You go and you do. You see and you do. You go do likewise. You see, we all see the world not as it is, but as we are. And we need to change our outlook. Now, there's three different ways to see the world. One of dependency, one of of independence, and one of interdependence. First way we see the world is one of dependency, the dependency outlook. We see this in verse 30. Now, who in the story had this dependency outlook? They kind of had the attitude, what is yours is mine and I will take it. Who in the story had this dependency outlook in life? The robbers. The robbers. You know, what you have is mine. They were dependent upon somebody else for their needs. They were dependent upon somebody else for their happiness. That's someone who has this dependency outlook. outlook. Now, we're all born as children in a very dependent state, right? 
And when we're a little guy about six, eight months old, you know, whatever we see, what do we do? We take it. And then what do we do with it? We put it in our mouth, right? I mean, that, that's what you do when you're at that state. You see things, you want it, you take it. And if you don't get what you see and you want, what do you do? You scream, you holler, you blame your parents. You know, you're very dependent upon your parents for your happiness. And if you're not happy, what do you do? You let them know it. And you let everybody else know it. And you look at that child that's six months old or two years old, and you think, where did that temper come from? Until you look in the mirror, right? Now, the problem with this dependency outlook is often, too often, we become adults, but we're still acting like children. And we let everybody else know that we're unhappy. We blame everyone else for our unhappiness. We are dependent upon others for our happiness. Now, here's the test. Here's the test for you to look at yourself and to see if you have this dependency, entitlement mindset. All right? Do you believe that somewhere over the rainbow that you can find happiness? That happiness is found out there. You know, if I just had a, a better job, then I'd be happy. If I just had more money, then I'd be happy. If I just had a, a nicer car or new clothes or some new shoes or a bigger house. If I just had better relationships. If I just had a better husband, then I'd be happy. If I just had a better wife, you know, then I'd be happy. You're dependent. You're dependent upon circumstances and situation beyond yourself, often beyond your control to make you happy. All right? That's the dependency outlook. Are, are you getting it? Okay? And what happens when you have this dependency outlook? When you don't get what you want, you don't cry anymore. You just moan. You just, oh, you know? Or you use your displeasure to get what you want. You have this dependency outlook. Now, the second outlook in life is what you call independency. Independency outlook is found in verses 31 and 32. And that's the mindset of what I have is mine and I will keep it. Now, who in this story had this independency outlook? Who? Levi and the priest. They both did. That was their attitude. Now, some commentators, and most of them agree that they don't think it's legit, but some people thought, well, maybe the priest and the Levi, you know, they were concerned that if they touched a dead body, uh, they wouldn't be able to work in the temple for seven days. It was part of the Levitical law that if you were to touch a dead body, and we don't know this guy wasn't dead, he was half dead, and the reality was they were coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. They weren't going to Jerusalem, so I don't think they were too concerned about the temple. The reality is the priest and the Levite were a lot like us. They were just busy, they were professionals, and they just didn't want to get involved. They just didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to stop. They didn't want to take the time. And we all go through that growth cycle in our life. We, we, we were born very, how are we born? Very what? Dependent. Then as we get older, we become more independent. We become independent physically. We learn how to feed ourselves, you know, and shove it in ourselves, you know. And then we become more independent financially, you know. We take care of ourselves, and every parent says what to that? Amen. God bless you. That is so wonderful, you know. And we become independent mentally. We learn to think for ourselves. And then we become independent emotionally. We're not so dependent upon others for our happiness. 
And our attitude at this point in life, it's a good attitude, is, man, I can do it. I'm responsible. I'm self-reliant. I'm self-determined. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But what happens in many of our lives, we kind of get stuck here. And if we're not careful, we get stuck. And we develop an independent, self-sufficient, self-absorbed life. And our outlook becomes, you know, all I need is my dog named Sue, you know, and I did it my way, and I'm a rock, and I'm an island. If it's meant to be, it's, it's up to me. Now, here's the test. Here's the test for you to see if you kind of got stuck in this independency outlook. You tend to see success in terms of your own independent accomplishment. You can get what you want in life. You don't say this, but sometimes you kind of think it. You really don't need anybody else. The truth might be, maybe you don't really trust other people. You'd rather do it yourself. I mean, your motto is, if you want a job done right, then do it what? Yourself. That's that independent outlook. It's really an attitude of self-sufficiency. It really stems from our own pride. What I have is mine. I'll keep it. In a lot of ways, this independency paradigm played out, it's a lot like cancer. Cancer cares, cares largely only for itself. It only looks out for itself. And it even eventually begins to feed on itself. And it ultimately commits biological suicide. And that's kind of what happens when we get so full of ourselves and we have this self-sufficient, prideful outlook. We become like a rock. We become like an island. We become a self-absorbed, egotistical snob that nobody really likes. And we die all alone. Now, how, how many of you know somebody like that? You know, we all know people like that. They're just full of themselves, right? You know? Uh, how, how many of you are sitting next to someone like that? Don't raise your hand. Okay. Uh, how, how, many, how many of you are that person? Now, you know, we don't want to raise a hand, and you don't need to raise your hand. Um, you know, we don't want to raise our hand and say, you know, I, I have a, a selfish, self-centered outlook. Just like this Jewish man that Jesus is talking with here, he didn't want to see that about himself. What I have is mine, and I will keep it. You see, our, our pride keeps us from seeing the truth about ourselves. Jewish lawyer didn't want to see the truth about himself. He was stuck in this, in this see-do-get life cycle of accomplishment. And what happens in many of our lives as we're stuck, we need a shift. We need a, a paradigm shift. We need a, a change in our outlook. We need a change in how we see it. We need to grow and mature and develop and move from being dependent to independent to the third outlook is one of interdependence. Interdependence. What I have is God's, and I will share it with you. Now, who in our story had this, had this interdependency outlook? The who? The Good Samaritan. You see, this inter interdependency outlook is God has given me my talents and God has given me my abilities and, and God has given me the ability to make and to earn money. 
And I'm a steward of God's resources, and I will share it with others. It's a totally different way of seeing the world. It's seeing the world the way God sees the world, with eyes of compassion. What does verse 33 say? But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, when he saw this Jewish man, he had what? Compassion. Samaritans don't normally have compassion for Jews, and Jews don't have compassion for for Samaritans. But this man had a different way of seeing the world. He had compassion. And that's the way we need to see the world. When we see the world that way, our neighbors become our friends. And we assume responsibility to love them. And to love the world the way we love ourselves. Now the priests and Levi, they had the outlook, you know, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? That was, that's why the Bible was there. And Christians sometimes do this. We're just like the priests and Levi. You know, we, we take the Bible, we take our morals, we take our standards, and we, we, we say, get away from me, world. Get away from me. you got needs and problems. Well, you figure it out. Rather than being like Jesus rather than being like the Good Samaritan and getting involved and trying to do good, it's a totally different way of seeing the world. The Good Samaritan is, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? See, interdependency is other-centered. Independency is self-centered. And it's a totally radical, different way to see the world. And if you will see the world differently, you will act and do differently, and you will see different results. Like the flower needs the rain, I need you. Like the winter needs the spring, I need you. You need me, and I need you. We are better together than we are alone. Now, this is the test. Here's the test to see if you hold to more of this interdependency outlook in life. Do you give to others or do you take from others? Is it about you and your happiness or is it about others and their happiness? Do you use people for your good and gain or do you release people for their good and their gain? Is it all about you? Or is it truly about them? You see, the mindset of interdependency is we can do it. Man, we can work together. We can combine our talents and our abilities and create something better and greater together. So how do you see the world? How do you see it? Are you stuck in this cycle? Do you want to break it? Then this morning, I pray that you will have a metanoia experience, that you will own your sin and own your heart and own your independent attitude and own your pride and own your selfishness and your self-centeredness and see yourself this morning and say, God, help me. Help me to see myself. And God, help me to want the outlook of a good Samaritan. And if we'll change the way we see it, We will change what we do, and we will get different results. And rather than loathing our life and just living our life, 
we will begin to love our life because now we're living a life of love. And when you love God and when you love other people, there's nothing better than that. We've gone full circle again, back to the Shema, back to loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving other people like we love ourselves. Then we will leave a legacy of love. So can we bow our heads in prayer? Can we spend a little more time this Sunday, and John and Canaan are going to come and sing it a little bit, and I really want you to just take some time right now, and for me and all of us to take some time right now, and really own our heart, and really look within, and really tell God this morning that we're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry for our independent attitude. We're sorry for our our pride. Our selfishness. Meta noia. God help me to change way I see the world. You pray that this morning? God, help me to love. God, help me to release people. God, help me to trust people. God, help me to let go. God, help me to love my neighbor as myself. Help me to change the way I see my neighbor and my world. God, save me from my sins. God, help me to see my world like the Good Samaritan. That what I have is a gift from God, and I need to share it with others. And maybe this morning, for the first time in your life, you need to say, God, I thank you for the gift of your son. I acknowledge my sin. I invite Christ to come into my life. And change the way I see the world. God, we ask that you change us as we choose to see our need of you and our need of each other. Give us the heart of the Good Samaritan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.